Lord God, we pause before we study this word today because we know that we need your help to understand it. Lord, apart from the illumination of your spirit, we would not have eyes to see the light and the glory of Christ in the scriptures. So please, Lord, would you guide us into all truth this morning. Keep my mouth from uttering anything that is false or misleading or would not bring glory to your name. Like John the Baptist, we desire for your glory to increase and for ours to decrease. Do this as we submit to your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We are all witnesses. Many of you may recognize this uh, famous ad campaign slogan, especially if you're an Ohio native, maybe one of Cleveland. Uh, this slogan is attached, this we are all witnesses, attached to the best, best basketball player, player, arguably, of all time, LeBron James. And until recently, there was this big old poster of, of LeBron with this uh, slogan underneath hanging in uh, downtown Cleveland for a number of years, only to be taken down this summer because LeBron has decided to take his talents to Los Angeles and to play for the Lakers. Uh, the message behind this ad campaign is not hard to understand, right? LeBron is so great at basketball that we all can't help be numbered among the many witnesses to his basketball greatness, right? In theory, if there were a trial to be held to determine the greatness of LeBron James, there would be countless you know, players and coaches and expert analysis and the cities of Cleveland and Miami and soon to be L.A. who would come to testify to how good LeBron is at basketball. And as we look at uh, the book of John, as we study it over the next year, we'll see John and what he likes to do. He likes to pile up witness after witness who will testify to the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. For example, what we'll see in John 2, that the signs and miracles of Jesus bear witness to his power as he turns water into wine. In John 4, we see the witness of the Samaritan woman as she testifies that Jesus told her everything about her. In John 5, we see that the Old Testament bears witness about Jesus. In John 5 and 8, God the Father bears witness about Jesus with his own voice. In John 12, the crowds bear witness to Jesus and welcome him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. In John 15, we'll see the Holy Spirit and the apostles bear witness to Jesus. And in John 18, we see when Jesus is arrested, he bears witness to himself. So this theme of witness is weaved throughout this gospel to show that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And there are many people who can attest to this. And today, we are going to focus our attention on the first of these many witnesses, the witness of John the Baptist, a man whom Jesus says, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. As we look at John the Baptist, the person, uh, his place in salvation history, his message, and his mission, I pray that we too as a congregation might hear the call of God on our lives to be sent out to bear witness to Christ so that many would hear and believe. Well, if you're not already there yet, if you could turn it with me with John 1 verses 6 to 8. And again, it's a short and simple passage, so my outline uh, and message will, will follow suit. Uh, in verse 6, if you look at it, we'll see John the Baptist as the first witness. That's the first point, verse 6. John is the first witness in verse 7a. We'll look at the words of the witness. 
And in 7 and 8, we'll look at the win of the witness. The win of the witness. And throughout this message, again, we'll look at, see what John's witness means for us today. So first, the witness. The first witness, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So up front here, I should make it clear that John, uh, our author, is, is talking about John the Baptist and not about himself. Uh, unique only to, to John's gospel, uh, our author doesn't refer to this man sent from God as John the Baptist like the other gospels. Rather, we'll see that he prefers to focus on the, the witness of John the Baptist rather than uh, focus on his baptism ministry. Now, you may be wondering, as I did, as you kind of look at this first chapter of John, like, why in the world does, does John introduce us to John the Baptist here? Right in the first five verses of the, of the book that we saw last week, we saw a glorious description of the eternal word, right? The word who was from the beginning, who was with God, who was God. And this word, namely Jesus, is the life and the light of men, a light that the darkness cannot overcome. And if you look down to verse 9 with me, we see the author pick up the description of, of light again. Therefore, it's interesting to think, like, why in the world does John interrupt the description of, of the word, this, this light, this eternal light, and introduce us to this, this John character here? It must have some, some significance. So then, we have to ask ourselves, who, who then is this John the Baptist, and why is he such an important figure to even interrupt the description of the eternal word here? Well, first, I think we can start to see the significance of John the Baptist and his witness by looking at where he falls in salvation history. So before John the Baptist was, was sent out by God, there was a long period of silence from the Lord, <clears throat> meaning that the Lord had not spoken through a prophet to his people since the prophet Malachi. And if you'll notice in your Bibles, that's the last book of the Old Testament, and it was written around the mid-5th century B.C. So in other terms, in, in, our, in our modern terms, God had, had gone, gone dark. You know, he'd, gone, he'd been ghosting. He's gone rogue, you know. Where is he at? You know, have you ever had that friend who you know is always on their phone, and they're usually quick, quick responders, and then you send them a message, and they don't respond. You're like, what's going on? They've kind of gone, gone dark. And you start to, you're wondering, like, oh, they must be on vacation, right? You know, they're on vacation. Or maybe they're getting a new phone. You know, that's the way I'm responding. But the longer you don't hear back from them, right, you start to question. It's like, are they mad at me? Like, is our, is our relationship changed? Now, imagine if, if you're God's people and it's been 400 years without a new word from God. It would feel as if the relationship with God had changed or that it was it over in some way. Again, and just to be clear, certainly God continued to rule over creation and was upholding every molecule, every star, and he certainly cared for his pe people and, and uh, spoke through his, his promises. Yet those promises that he gave in the Old Testament of, of a new covenant, a new creation, and a new king were still unfulfilled. But as we know, God did not stay silent forever. At the appointed time, God breaks his silence and speaks First, through John the Baptist, his last prophet, or rather, our first witness, who would prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. 
It's interesting, if you look in, in Luke uh, chapter 1, we'll see again that this angel even announces the birth of John first before the birth uh, of Jesus. God decides to break his silence with, with John. So when we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, we ought to realize the importance of this moment in salvation history. This is not just John just writing it aside. This is an important moment that he's telling us. And second, I, I think we see the significance of this introduction to John the Baptist as a reminder that God chooses people, ordinary men and women, to proclaim the saving power of Jesus to the world. And you'll notice the, the very stark contrast between the description of the eternal word in verses 1 to 5, and then change to a very simple description of this guy, this man, who was sent by God, and he had a name. And his name was John. And if you're familiar, again, with a more detailed description of John the Baptist and the other Gospels, you'll know that John was what we call a little more uh, eccentric, right? They, they tell us that John the Baptist, he lived in the wilderness, right? He lived out in, in the boonies. I don't know what the boonies is here, but it's out, out in the boonies, uh, way, way out there. And he wore a, a garment of, of camel's hair and, and a leather belt around his waist, so he's very fashion-forward for the time. And, right, and what, what did he eat? He ate locusts and wild honey. You read that description of this guy, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if that'd be my first pick to introduce uh, the Son of God to, to, to the world. Yet, yet it's this man on this sweet and crunchy diet uh, who God chooses to first publicly bear witness to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. You know, God could have used so many other different means, right, to prepare the way for Jesus to come. Right? He had already used angels to declare that Jesus birthed to, to some shepherds by night. You know, why just not send a bunch more angels? Right? You know, or, or why not just write it in the sky so that everyone could see and presumably believe? Yet as we know in Scripture, God's wisdom is different than man's wisdom. God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chooses a man named John to prepare the way for the king of glory. And God chooses thousands of little human beings to declare his great salvation to the world until he returns. You remember with me uh, in, in Acts uh, 1.8, Jesus, one of Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascends to heaven is this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my, what? Witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So God chooses every day followers of him to speak his grace to the world. And before you start to convince yourself that God couldn't use you, let me remind you again maybe how you came to know the Lord. I guess uh, for many of you is that it was not through a visitation from an angel that the Lord brought you to himself. It wasn't through maybe a, a near-death experience, but who, who was it that God used to bring to the Lord? It was somebody probably very ordinary, very ordinary, imperfect person. Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, your grandpa, a grandma, a classmate, a neighbor, a normal youth pastor or pastor to witness and to share the good news of the gospel with you, and you came and believed. Therefore, we have to ask ourselves, who has God asked us to help prepare the way for Jesus? 
Are we, are we listening to the Holy Spirit and his prompting to share what Jesus has done for us? And are we even asking God to help us to know who and where we ought to shine Christ's light into the darkness? Again, for most of us, again, Jesus is calling you right where you are to witness right where God has you, in your neighborhood, maybe to your own family, your school, your classmates. Maybe when you're one of the very few Christians in your own family and you have the light of Christ in you. And so God has sent you out to be the light for your family and to shine the light into the darkness, knowing full well that the darkness will not overcome it. So church, I would ask you to be ready and open to hear the call of God to be sent. And God might even call you today, whether at lunch uh, with the waiter or waitress, to share the good news uh, of Christ. And the question is whether or not we will be obedient to that call and do we have ears to hear as John was. So we've seen John as the first witness. Now let's look at the words of the witness, the words of the witness in verse 7. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. It's important that if we are to be faithful witnesses to to Jesus Christ in the world, we need to know him and actually know what it means to bear witness to him. Uh, Again, a a definition of of witness uh, is one who speaks uh, and to give an account. A witness is a person who, with some experience or or knowledge, that can help them establish the truth of some fact and dispute. You know, we usually think about a courtroom scene, right, with a prosecutor or a defense attorney. They call witnesses to testify about certain uh, events uh, that they need or they have, you know, have some, those witnesses have some knowledge or they have some experience in order to help the jury, right, come to an understanding of the truth. Now, it would do absolutely no good, right, if a prosecutor calls a witness to the stand and the witness refuses to answer any, any questions, Right? That, that would be up of no help to the case. They'd be, they would not be doing their job as, as a witness. And if someone would take the stand and actually give a false testimony, it would do harm to the case. It would put an obstacle in the way of the jury's search for the truth. So in order to be a credible witness and a faithful witness, you need to, you need to do two things. You must have some knowledge or experience of the truth. And two, you must bear witness with words to what you know and have experienced. So you must know and you must speak. Therefore, if we are going to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ until he returns, we must know him and we must speak true words about him. And when God sends John the Baptist to bear witness, John, we see here, John speaks. He bears witness about Jesus, the light. Now, in, in a few weeks, we'll unpack in more detail, uh, I believe in verse 19 through 34, uh, about John's message and how he came to know about Jesus. But, but today, for, for our purposes, we need to understand that when the time came for John to testify about Jesus, to actually bear witness to him, he steps up and declares, right, in verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist's words are important. Because the Holy Spirit works through words to rescue the souls of men and women. We see this clearly in in Romans 10, verses 14 
17. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Therefore, when we are called to make known the light and life of Jesus, we ought to be ready to speak and to testify to his saving power and do it in a manner of love. We need to explain that God is a holy God and he is just and that our sin has separated us from him. And we carry a debt of sin that could never be paid by our own good works. We have to be able to explain with joy how Jesus paid our debt by dying in our place so that we could be brought into fellowship with him. We have to declare that Jesus did not stay in the grave, but he rose again so that we don't have to fear death or whatever this world throws at us because Jesus sits on his throne and he has promised to come back and to rescue all who trust in him. That is the gospel, friends. And we have to ask ourselves, are we ready to proclaim that and do we know that? Can we explain the gospel? And can we personally share what God has done in our lives and what he has saved you from and what he has saved you to? The real question is, do we even truly believe that this message has the true power to save? And it's it's not enough for Christians to just be nice people. Right? It's not enough for us just to abstain from the pleasures of this world and think that we are bearing a saving witness to Jesus. Now, again, to be clear, uh, being nice people and trying to, and uh, abstaining from sin and walking in step with our confession is essential to the foundation for any effective witness, right? If, if we do not live out what we profess, our words of witness are empty. And I'm sure many of you know somebody, again, who would look at the church or um, know somebody who, who would preach one thing on Sunday and live something very differently Monday through Saturday, and their witness has completely been undercut. Nevertheless, what, what I'm trying to get at here is that living a moralistic life is not itself witnessing. There's a, a well-known uh, saying that pops up in Christian circles. It goes like this, maybe you've heard it. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, it, it, sounds, it sounds nice, but as we just saw in Romans 10, right? No one can come to faith in Jesus without the words of the gospel being spoken to them. I really, I fell into this trap uh, in college very often. I would, went to a secular university, so I was around a lot of non-Christians, and I would, I would live differently. I was a Christian, and I would live differently. I didn't go to the things some they did. I didn't talk the way they did, and I, I lived a, a different lifestyle. But instead of, of speaking to, to why I lived the way I did, I just could, would kind of wait for people to ask me. It's like, I mean, over time, they'll just ask me why I live this way, and that'll be kind of my in. And sometimes they did, and by the grace of God, sometimes they did. They would ask. But when that time came to step up to the, to the plate, Oftentimes, I would not be as bold as I wanted to. I wasn't clear with the message, and, and really, it ended up being more about my, myself um, than about the joy of, of knowing Jesus. I saw that as an excuse. As long as I live this way, uh, then maybe people, people will ask, and that'll be my end. 
But when the time came, very, very seldom did I, did I speak up as I should. We must remember that there is power in the articulated gospel. We need to be clear about the gospel and bold with the gospel. We have to join the Apostle Paul when he says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But as I mentioned earlier, if our gospel boldness with words is paired with a lifestyle of hypocrisy or uttered in a tone of condemnation rather than love, we will undercut the witness of our words. Uh, Pastor uh, Matt Chandler down in Texas, he said this recently. He says, being right the wrong way makes you wrong. Being right the wrong way makes you wrong. I think it's just so easy in our, in our culture today uh, to yell loudly the things that, that we believe uh, uh, to be true at our opponents, either over the internet you know, and claim kind of victory over the trolls you know, by, by posting what you need to post. And while those words may be true, we've got to remember that that is not usually how, how, how Jesus brought people to, him, to himself, right? Jesus was kind. He was compassionate. He was patient with the crowds. Yes, he, and he spoke with, with boldness and called people to repentance. Yeah, he did it in a way where all sorts of people still wanted to be around him, right? Both men and women, adults, children, Jews, Gentiles, tax collectors, Pharisees, rich and poor, sick and healthy. And many of these people even invited him into their homes, even though that he had called them to repent of their way of life, their lifestyle. I find it really remarkable how much of Jesus' ministry, and we'll see this in John, how much of his ministry is actually done in people's homes whom he has called to repent. And my prayer, again, for this congregation is that we would be so like Jesus that our homes and our church are filled with people who are drawn in to explore the message about Jesus because we love people in a way that is distinct from the world. A love that honors each image bearer as precious. A love that doesn't excuse sin, but is patient with the sinner and sympathizes with weakness because we know full well that Christ was patient with us. I wish we want to be a church that would share the love of Christ, a love that is ready to share the beauty and the wonder and exclusivity of Christ with anyone who is willing to hear. In order to, for us to be an effective witness for Christ, we need to know Christ. We need to know his gospel, and we need to pair our words of witness with a life of godliness, of repentance, of humility, and of love. And so I ask you guys today, uh, do, you, do you know him? Do you know Christ? And are you ready to share the words of the gospel message so that you can be an effective witness for him. And even are you praying that God will give you the boldness and the words to speak when he opens the door for the gospel. One way even too to, to set the, the stage for gospel proclamation is to, is to live and to be a good neighbor and to set, do that kind of pre-evangelism work and so that when you do speak, your, your words uh, have weight to it, have a foundation already set. And if you're here today uh, and you're not a believer and you don't know the gospel, uh, I, and I would love uh, to talk with you and to, and to meet with you and to say, like, hey, this is who Jesus is and this is what he has saved me from and this is what he saved me to. And so that you uh, 
can express uh, this message as well. I know some of the, the best evangelists are new converts because it is so fresh to be able to see what God has done. So I, I, want, I would love that for you today. But if you're here and you know Jesus, uh, but you're just maybe not confident in sharing uh, the gospel with others, uh, we have a really practical application for you. Again, next Sunday, uh, we didn't plan this, but next Sunday we are doing an evangelism class here. About just four weeks, uh, I'm teaching that with a couple other uh, men, and the hope of that class is, is first to just help us to know what God expects, expects of us as his witnesses, and also how to best overcome the many barriers uh, that Satan puts in our way um, for us to step out in faith and bear witness to Christ, who is the light. So we've seen John the Baptist, he's the first witness. We've seen the words of his witness, and now let's look to the wind of the witness. The wind of the witness. Look at verse 7 again. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist's mission was to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. His message was a call to believe. God's purpose for, for John the Baptist was not to make him famous or to gather big crowds or to make sure he got more subscribers to his podcast or YouTube channel. No, no, John came to bear witness that he might win people to Christ and bring glory to God in the process and not to himself. And, and the author makes it clear that John the Baptist, as important as he was, was not the light. Rather, he was like a flashlight pointing people to Jesus. He brought the words of eternal life, but he was not the eternal word. Uh, just recently, uh, my friend gave me a call from college and asked me to be the best man at his wedding, which is really exciting. I counted a great honor to be numbered uh, among some of his closest friends. And, and as the best man, I have a, a very, very simple, simple job to carry out, right? One, do not draw attention to myself, right? Don't forget your tie, you know, don't... Uh, uh, don't forget your tie. Don't pass out. Maybe on the on the that would be bad. Let's not do that. Actually, in my uh, in my wedding, actually, a groomsman forget his pants, uh, and it took him to the last hour. So don't do that. Don't forget my pants. Okay. Uh, and the secondly, uh, give a best man speech that doesn't embarrass the bride. Right. I don't know about you, but there's nothing more awkward than a really bad best man speech or one of those or something in the bridal par party who, who thinks the day is about them and they're just like, oh, this is, this is, this is bad. This is awkward. Just know your, know your lane. You know, know your lane. <laughs> John the Baptist, right, right, right here, we see this. He understood who he was and he stayed in his lane. His job was not to win people to himself, to draw attention to himself, but to win people to Jesus. He was the best man. He was not the groom. Likewise, when we proclaim the gospel and pour into people's lives, the goal is, is always to make much of Jesus and not to make much of ourselves. Yet, yet there, is, there is always a really strong pull in ministry to think that it was our skill or our, our passion or experiences that, that, that brought about the fruit maybe that we see. Yeah, we might we'll probably never say that publicly, but internally we do all sorts of, of ministry and service in order to get a pat on the back rather than to give glory to God. 
We must remember that no matter how fruitful our ministry may be, uh, especially here at Castleton, or maybe no matter how hard um, the ground is for a season of ministry, we are not the point. We are not the light. Jesus is the point. He is the light. And I hope that, that many people come to know Jesus through your testimony. I, I, I hope, again, uh, first service and second service is filled with people that you have brought uh, that the Lord has used you to bring to himself. But we need to remember that we cannot win people to Christ through our own efforts. And, and we'll see this throughout John. Uh, he makes this point throughout his gospel that we cannot do that. It is the Lord who draws people. We see this in John 3.8. It says, The wind blows where it wishes. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. John 10, 28, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The moment we start to think that we figured out this formula for church growth or a silver bullet for global missions, uh, we have lost the gospel and we fall into Satan's trap thinking that we are somehow the light. And on the other hand, if you think you are too weak uh, or not able to for God to use you, you also undercut the power uh, of the gospel. We see God loves to use weak people to, to bring glory to himself. And the Father graciously uses us as a conduit to bring people to Christ, but that is all we are. We are just a conduit. And Paul, Apostle Paul affirms this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we are merely jars of clay carrying the most precious treasure the world can ever fathom. And God, in his infinite wisdom, decides to use us, very weak people, to share this treasure, knowing that God will accomplish all that he wills. So John the Baptist was a, was a man, just a regular guy, sent by God to bear witness to the light. He was not the light, but he spoke that all might believe through him. In just a moment, we are about to sing uh, a song about Jesus, and which is great, uh, and it is a gospel-filled song. Uh, and again, it's one of my favorite hymns uh, because one, it just it pairs very well with the the book of John. And I want you, as you sing that song, I really want you to think through: Do you do you know this Jesus? Do you do you see what he has come come to do? That he has saved you from your sins? That he has wiped away your guilt? And as you sing, I think the best thing about singing is that there is a, there's a joy that happens when we get to sing about Jesus. And, and my hope is that as we sing uh, with joy about our, our, our Savior, that that joy would then translate into joy in sharing uh, with others. And so as you sing with joy about who has saved you from sin, uh, that you'd be thinking and praying about who might the Lord uh, ask you and send you to bear witness about the light. Let's pray. Father, we 
want to thank you for opening our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus Christ. We know that it is not of our own doing, but that is just a gift of grace from you. Thank you for shining your light into our darkness and giving us the glorious task of sharing your light with others. We pray now that you would help us, Lord, to be filled with the joy of knowing you, that we can't help but tell others about what you have saved us from and about the eternal life that you offer to all who have put their faith and trust in you. May the love and glory of Jesus Christ ring out from our homes, from our church, and across the lands. In Jesus' name I pray.